This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Sorry, we're closed. Well, then what are all these people doing here? Drinking and having a good time. Well, that's why we're here. You're too stupid to have a good time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and rowdy. Hello and welcome back to Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society and brought to you by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best damn barbecue sauce in the known universe. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? We are doing wonderful. How are you, Tim? Uh, I am doing well. Spring is actually kind of fully sprung here, at least in, in Minnesota. You guys have probably been a little bit more spring-like. I think you've already mowed your lawn, haven't you? Three times. Mowed the lawn three times. Got the pool partially cleaned out. The kids are driving me nuts because they want the pool open. Yeah, that's impressive. My lawn, I noticed, looks like I should probably have mowed it uh, once, but I have not gotten around quite to that because it's like, Parts of it look like it should have been mowed, and other parts of it still look like they're recovering from winter. Uh, so I <laughs> I will probably pretend like I'm going to get around to that this weekend and then find a reason not to. Um, yeah, the dad jeans kicked in pretty hard this weekend. I mowed the lawn, had the straight lines, had to zip tie and do all that stuff. So <laughs> it's all it's all ready to go now. I got my got my lawn shoes on. I'm I'm good to go. The the uh, stained green white New Balance shoes is that what you have? They're Nikes, but oh, they okay. are white stained green. <laughs> they are, believe it or not. Oh, perfect! Yeah, I actually I threw out my 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 lawn mowing shoes last year, so I don't even know what I'm gonna do. Uh, I might need to be in the market for a, a used pair of white tennis shoes just for that. Uh, so anyway, Chris, I. I'm excited. We're doing uh, a podcast that's a little bit different uh, than we've done in the past. Uh, one, because it, it is a longtime friend of yours. Two, it's a little bit of a crossover with my other podcast. Uh, that's Bitter Units. For, for those that want to check that out, check us out at, at, on the web at bitterunits.com. We are another tailgate. <clears throat> yeah, podcast. suck it, Aaron. Shameless. I didn't send you a sample. <laughs> Shameless plug. I didn't send Aaron one. a sample, so suck it. Yeah, I yeah I, I I saw that Aaron was looking for that. So uh, he whines that I don't send him beer either. So he can he can deal. He I don't think he sends me anything. So yeah, Aaron, suck it. Um, but anyway, I with all that said, Chris, I will go ahead and let you introduce our guest this evening. Yeah, well, it is my pleasure to introduce one of my very uh, dear oldest friends, uh, Rob Taylor. Rob Taylor and I go back. Uh, let me can let me do the math here. Probably eighty six sophomores in high school. We got stuck in uh, in a government class, and then also got stuck in um, study hall together. 
Uh, Rob uh, is now uh, killing it uh, with a new distillery, Revelton Spirits, down in Osceola, Iowa. Rob, welcome to Old Man Strength. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. So, Rob, he gave you a very, very brief introduction that I feel like was sorely lacking. I didn't hear any praise. I didn't hear any explanation of what you have done, what brought you to this point. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, basically <laughs> anything you want to talk about from after 1986 on. Okay, well, uh, well, first of all, Chris and I pinky promised uh, way back in high school that we wouldn't reveal our, our deepest, darkest secrets about one another. So, um, <clears throat> just it on this podcast, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Chris and I have known each other since sophomore year of high school, where he, he and I used to uh, uh, banter back and forth and uh, and and have fun just like all high schoolers hopefully had. and. He's one of my deepest uh, friends that I've known for years and years. Matter of fact, Chris and I kind of went off in in life and went different directions after uh, high school and college, and uh, uh, reconnected a few years ago uh, through uh, both hope and some tragedy. And I am so glad to have him back in my life again. And uh, so, gosh, where do I start? Um, I have. Uh, I've lived many lives uh, since uh, 1986, uh, everything from a, uh, a farmer and a diesel mechanic to uh, um, a state congressman to um, uh, a college professor and now um, uh, the owner, uh, president, and uh, primary distiller for Revelton Distilling Company in Osceola. So, um, gosh, just pick one of those and uh, we can we can go from there. Well, shoot, I was going to say, uh, anything from farming to diesel mechanic to uh, being part of the state legislature, all of those, well, and college professor, all of those would make me go very quickly into booze. So I think that that's probably uh, a, a more linear path than maybe uh, even you would recognize. Um, but, man, that is quite uh, a, a diverse uh, array of of lives, I guess, as as you put it, you've lived multiple lives. Yeah, I, I I always say this: if you need a poster child, the politics will drive you to drink, and I'm definitely your guy. <laughs> well, I will I will say uh, about Rob what what I admire about Rob and, and his story is is that we were two kids that grew up on the south side of Des Moines, um, and probably the only thing we had to rub together were dreams. Yes, that's true. That's right. true, brother. Uh, so the fact that that he has evolved from from maybe a one profession or two professions that people strive to be and are happy to be, and that that's perfectly fine. He's moved up, and that's almost almost the epitome of, of the American dream, right? Of working your way up and taking chances in life, and and not being afraid to try new things and seeing where it goes. So that's kind of what I, I wanted to come on and, and have Rob talk about is, is just how you evolved from that, right? Like when you started uh, right out of, out of high school, uh, you were working on your, on your family farm, I think. Right. And, and yep, that's correct. College, right. Yeah. And my dad was uh, the Dean of the diesel and ag department at the Monterey community college. Uh, so, uh, and was a diesel mechanic himself. So, 
we had a we had a house on the south side of Des Moines where I went to school uh, from elementary all the way through high school. But we always had our family farm uh, just south of Osceola. So um, it was it wasn't it didn't seem as special as 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 it it was then as it is now, if that makes sense. And the fact that I was I was just really this. uh, You were just living your life, right? Yeah. And and, and back at it now, it's having had one one foot in Des Moines my whole life as a city kid. And the other foot in Osceola in New Virginia as a farm kid, it made me a, a very um, well-rounded individual about uh, so many different things, life and death. I mean, I learned about about life and uh, uh, and death on the family farm. We had uh, we had pure blood limousine cattle. So um, if I wasn't in town ta- in town in school, we were pulling calves and and calving in the usually in February or March. And, um, you learn a lot on the farm about, um, how, how cruel and also how beautiful life can be. And I always, uh, remembered that when I, when I came back into the city, because I think that's something that, um, as a city kid and, and being around a lot of other city kids, they, they didn't really realize, uh, how, again, how wonderful life could be and how cruel it could be uh, both at the same time. So, um, I, again, I carried that on, um, in, in my life, uh, um, in the, in the technician world. And, uh, in, and most importantly, where I got to practice it the most was in the legislature, uh, where I, I represented West Des Moines, Waukee and Clive, the Dallas County portion, which was the fastest growing urban district in the state. But, um, in 2017, I think it was, I uh, restored my my sons and I restored my first uh, Alice Chalmers WD tractor that was still on the farm. Uh, we did that in 15 days so that I could drive it uh, to the Capitol from my house in West Des Moines to prove, with the suit and tie on, by the way, to prove that um, that there are urban legislators out there that do understand um, the country life and have lived the country life. So there's always this battle in the legislature and it's going on up there right now between you know uh, urban sprawl and um and rural divide and um there's just a select few of us that have lived both of those lives that kind of become a bridge builder between those two two to try and get things done yeah you know that's that's interesting that you say that because i think you know for the three listeners that aren't in iowa uh, for our podcast um i think people don't necessarily understand like you said, the urban sprawl, how quickly Polk County has grown over the last 20 years to the point that, you know, my 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 folks live in, in Polk County and they're retired. My dad uh, did a lot of jobs. He started out as a vocational uh, ag teacher uh, up in the Starmont district up Strawberry Point. Sure. Um but you know he he had spent some t- of his 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 early life in in the Ankeny area and, and in central Iowa. My sister was born in, in Des Moines, and I grew up in eastern Iowa in in a rural community. Um, but you know my all my nieces and nephews that are growing up in in the Ankeny area, even um, you know not Des Moines proper, and it's still very much. I wouldn't call it urban, but it's definitely suburban and it's definitely yeah. lost a lot of that, that kind of rural route that I think people, uh, you know, I, I worked on a dairy farm, uh, yeah. 
as a kid, right? But, uh, you know, I, now my nieces and nephews are working at, at Chick-fil-A, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not, you know, it's just <clears> a <throat> different exposure to, to uh, like you said, to life, to death, to hard work, to, you know, um, all of those things that's just a little bit different. So I could see why people wouldn't necessarily get, yeah, you know, I represent, uh, especially the the area that you were representing where there's probably a little bit more affluence and a little bit more uh, that people don't, you know, wouldn't realize that, that not everyone in that area is out of touch with what uh, the small farmer is going through. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, is when the the, the crisis of two thousand and eight came, uh, the the crash. <clears throat> um, the interesting thing about the area that I represented was there was a lot of um, there was a lot of people that looked incredibly wealthy on the surface that had no food on their table. They didn't have a job. They they the uh, um, the food pantries here in I was on the Dallas County side. Um, rather than on the Polk County side, on the Dallas County side, uh, they, they tended to ignore the problem and the issue of homelessness and, um, and, um, and hunger. And quite frankly, referred most of those people and families to Polk County for services because they didn't have an infrastructure mm-hmm. um, in, in the Dallas County side to be able to support these, quote, affluent families that... Um, that they just had no cash reserves. Well, man, if you grew up on a dairy farm and I grew up on a farm, you know, cash reserves, damned important. Mm -hmm, And uh, if you don't, if you don't have it as a farmer, you're, um, you're just one season away from going out of business. So it was a real wake up call here. And, um, you know, I've, again, I've been blessed just like, uh, just like Chris to, to, um, to be taught a lot of different things and how to manage my money. Um, even when you had none, um, you know, when you start packing a little bit of money away, even if it's $10 a week, uh, at the end of one year, if you don't touch that, it's pretty amazing how, uh, that, that little fun can compound itself. If you, if you leave it alone. Um, so I don't know, I'm to the point where nobody would hire me. So I thought I'd just start my own distillery. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm too independent. Well, there's something to be said about that. I, I know that my uh, my dad uh, had moved us to a farm when I was in uh, fifth grade. We had moved uh, down to Milo, outside of Milo and outside yep. of Iowa. And um, kind of the same thing. I started off as a, as a city kid, lived there for three or four years, worked on the farm. I mean, I was there when we didn't have indoor plumbing. I mean, we, we yeah. had, you know, he we dug a ditch and we ran plumbing and and so it was it was pretty prehistoric back to me back yeah. then, you know um and we were working with 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 pigs and 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 doing livestock and things like that and same same thing that you had talked about we we ended up moving because of cash reserves and whatever and we had a fire yep. burn, burn the house down when i was like in second grade i remember coming home we were coming home from a christmas celebration in, in des moines and we came around the corner and our house was burned down. Maybe yeah. Too, you know, uh, it, dad didn't have money in savings. He didn't have, and, and his life was up and down, right? We moved back to Des Moines. He did odd jobs. He did this, he did that. He ended up starting his own business in, in 1992, uh, ran a successful used computer business, taught me everything I know about it work and learned there. 
And at the height of 95, we were, we had two stores and, and he, you know, had bought a big house and, and then again, that ebb and flow of back down and so on. So I've learned a lot of lessons about that as well. Um, yeah. And I, I met your dad along uh, a few times, uh, several years ago. And I mean, what an awesome guy. And the thing I remember about your dad is, and, and I think this is the key to just about anybody's success in this world today is being a glass half full person. And, and being po- positive, regardless of what happens to you in life. I mean, you don't know what you don't know what good and happy is until you've experienced sadness and 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 I call it withoutness. Um, you, you don't realize how lucky you are um, when everything is taken away from you, and you work you work towards um, gaining it back, if you will. And uh, I mean, that's the ebb and flow of life. Yeah, that was one of the things that I, I harped on quite a bit over this last year during COVID was it was heartbreaking for me to see small businesses hurt so badly by having to shut down and whatever. Now, I understand yeah. why they had to do that. That's not I'm, I'm not politicizing that at all. I'm saying, yeah, but it was hard to see those businesses shut down and not know what they were going to do. And I can remember my dad sitting there worried sick, not because he wasn't going to make it or whatever, but he had two or three employees. He couldn't pay those employees and that was his responsibility. And he took that personally that he could make sure that those three families weren't being taken care of. So I, I I practice the same philosophy that I bet your dad did is that you always pay yourself last. Um, You know, there's so many people that are counting on you as a small well, unless business you're working for you, Rob. I got, well, that's true. I got <laughs> paid last too. I just just that's so you know, true. I can yeah. Yeah. I can wait for a paycheck too. I, Fine, you're you are next to last. But yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I, I right. thought that's why I I had kids. Is am I right, right. able to do that? I thought that was the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we have remote controls now, so uh, so you don't have to worry about. Like when I was a little kid, my one of my grandfathers was a TV repairman, and I was the human remote control for my dad and grandparents. So, um, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, get up and change it to channel four. Yeah, absolutely. No. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah sure. you were saying that you know you 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 yourself are paid last. My dad had a had a saying. He always would say, as a business owner, I'm not. If I ran a restaurant, I wouldn't be willing to serve you something I wouldn't eat myself. That exactly. Was how, that was how he ran his business. Exactly. And quite frankly, that's how we run our distillery as well. I mean, part of part of what I've done now over the last year and three months, I mean, everything that we did down at Revelton, it, in essence, it was a group of six of us and a couple of uh, outstanding contractors that we took full advantage of uh, when COVID hit. We, we were building. We did it safely. There was only six or eight of us that always worked next to each other every day. And we put in 100-hour weeks. Uh, in the middle of COVID, when I was watching on the news, everybody um, having a year and a half vacation at home with their families. And uh, we, we chose, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It, it, it works for every family, but we chose to work when no one else was working. And, um, and uh, it, it's so far it's worked out. But that, that said, it's, uh, um, you know, my employees are my family. And, uh, um, I do my damnedest to try and take care of all of them and ensure that they'll, that Revelton Distilling Company will be there for years to come for them and their families and their, and their neighbors and, and, uh, our community in Osceola to enjoy. So, um, that takes, um, 
that takes a lot of patience. Uh, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, forthrightness to make sure that um, you put those things in place and don't don't waver. So, um, gosh, it's just been it's just been one heck of a ride, and uh, I'm just damned happy to be alive. So, let's go ahead and get into the distillery a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, how long have you guys been open? We've been open since uh, the the uh, third week in December of uh, 2020. Okay, so uh, um, I am I am a a uh, brewer by trade. Yes. Yep. And so I know a little bit about what goes into that, but um, aside from having one more of a step in the process, you really have two more steps in the process. Uh, so not only are, are you now distilling beer, essentially. Exactly. Um, my, uh, my, state, my first stage is to, to make beer wort yep. and, then, and then process it through our, our column still, our continuous flow still, and turn, in essence, take that 6 to 8% alcohol and turn it into 60 to 70% whiskey. And so now the other thing, though, is that uh, you have added to there. So not only is it running it through that column still is um, aging. That's correct. Right. And yep. uh, that, that scares the crap out of me. The idea that you have these products that you want to make that, you know, you're, you're betting your business on a product that you're not going to be able to sell right out of the gate. I That's right. Like, I don't remember exactly what the, it's like two years in a day or something like that. Two years in a day to call yourself straight bourbon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, in a, yeah. And like Scotland, it's like three years in a day for whiskey, like different rules, but it's, yeah, straight yeah. bourbon is, is two years in a day, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, but, but beyond that, I mean, just like any other business, um, even when you were growing up on the dairy farm, I bet your, your, your dad and your mom probably also had corn and beans and you probably grew hay you know, not only to, to feed your livestock, but also to, to sell as a, as an ancillary, uh, uh, uh cash flow. I'm, I'm guessing. Am I right? Yeah. So, 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 so we do the same thing at the, the, at the distillery. I mean, our premier products will be our, our bourbon and our rye, but, but between now and two to three years from now, um, I mean, I have a, I have a phenomenal American style gin that we make right there on site. Uh, a very popular product is, is rapidly becoming our number one seller of mulberry gin uh, that doesn't taste like gin at all. But uh, uh, we make mulberry mules with it, uh, mulberry mojitos, all kinds of really cool things. I have a, a premium whiskey that I partnered with a friend of mine in Indiana uh, until I get my reserves built up that I use a three-year whiskey in our honey whiskey. And then I use honey out of, uh, out of our other company, the Iowa Honey Company to make one of the finest honey whiskeys you'll ever taste. Um, and then we make a whiskey and cream liqueur. We call it a bourbon, uh, bourbon cream that people are just going gaga over. So there's six products that we have on the shelf right now. And I just introduced a, a seventh we got done today uh, that's called Revelton Shine. So it's a white unaged whiskey. So there's seven products that we have out, right, out there right now that people are really, really embracing quickly to help us with our cash flow and get, from short-term um, 
short-term gains to long-term gains when we released our rye in two years and our bourbon in three. Well, and not to, to stereotype anyone, but the family that I've had in Southern Iowa, that white lightning, they were, they're very much uh, a fan of, of unaged white lightning shine style whiskey. So I, I would imagine that that one has probably been, uh, had, had a few people, uh, a little excited about that one too. They, they have been very excited about it. And, uh, uh, we, we won't be the typical, what you would call moonshine. This thing, this is smooth and, uh, doesn't burn and, uh, makes some phenomenal cocktails that, uh, depending on your cocktail, you wouldn't even know it wasn't just aged whiskey. It's got that good of a flavor. So sure. I'm really excited about it, but, um, costing me more money. That's all that's doing. That's right. It is. <laughs> it's just that's costing true. me more money. That's, I mean, that's I true, through, man. I went through an, almost an entire bottle of the honey whiskey uh, when I was on my golf trip this weekend. So yeah, I, I keep getting phone calls that people tell me my bottle's defective because every damn time they pick it up, it's empty. <laughs> so I will tell you a testament. I I couldn't make it down to your place, so I stopped at the local high V. Yeah, and I asked the guy because I had to buy some samples for Tim, and I asked the guy if he had any of the small sample bottles, and he did. And he mentioned to me just without prompting how much it was selling off the off, off the charts there at that high V. That's awesome. I got to stop by and give him a 20. (laughs) (laughs) But look, here's the thing. This is the great thing about people in Iowa and also in Minnesota. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world uh, through my life. And I mean, I've been in so many places and you can always spot an Iowan, no matter where you go. I always say there's, there's only 3.1 million of us, but you can find us everywhere and you know who we are because we always have a smile on our face and we're always talking. Um, (laughs) And, and, but but the but the reality of that situation is is whether it be our distillery or honey company or uh, when I was a service manager years ago at an automotive dealership, um, you know the thing is is the quality of your product is only as good as is the raw materials you use going in it, and the forthrightness and uh, uh, stre- uh, stringent um, code that you have with that product and. With that, you hope that you'll end up with a great product. And and the great thing about Iowans is we're straightforward people and we're honest. We'll tell you how we feel. Um, and the great thing about, and what I'm so proud about, on at least on the distillery front, is we've had so much positive um, reviews from everyone about how much they love our product. They, they and, and quite frankly, the truth of the matter is, is nobody, this is, I mean, we're only 18 weeks old right now, and nobody really even knows what Revelton means. They don't really know who the owners are. Um, our, we're, we're just at the point of just starting to tell our story, and our, and our product's already rolling off the shelf. So um, for me, that makes me very, very proud, honored, and, and humbled to know that uh, uh, it's, been this, it's been embraced this quickly. Well, you, let's talk about that. The, the, Revelton has a reason for the name, and, and you have some things to go along with that. Why don't you tell a little bit about wh- why you came up with that name and, and, and what some of those things on the bottle mean? Yeah, yeah. so so Revelton in and of itself was a, a, a name that we came up with out of necessity. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for a name uh, at the very beginning of, uh, of a 10-year journey to, to my wife and I uh, deciding that we're going to start a distillery 10 years ago. 
And about three years ago, um, it, it really started to uh, come to fruition of if we're going to do this, we need to do it now. So the long and short of it, um, one of the very first things that you have to do is try and figure out a name that you can trademark. So, I mean, literally a two month uh, a workshop between my wife and I almost every night of coming up with names that, uh, that described us. And uh, the word that we came up with that described uh, my wife, Christy, and I, which also is a, another Lincoln graduate uh, that graduated with us in 1989, Chris. I've her since middle school. Yeah, I know. Gosh, man, you can tell me stories then. Well, I- uh, <laughs> but, but the word that we both came up with that we thought described both of us was the word revel, R-E-V-E-L, which means to dance and celebrate loudly. But that in and of itself just seemed short if you if you'd name it revel distillery just didn't seem right so um knowing knowing that we were going to locate in osceola we we thought about the name revel town you know it'd be a a, a dance and celebrate town well we're at dinner one night with my youngest son teenager who has his face stuffed full of food and um we're talking about this name and with his face stuffed full of food he says i don't like the word revel town but what it came out as was revel ton and the long and short of it was we didn't think it meant anything, but we loved the sound of Revelton Rye, and we also knew that we'd make a root beer. So I loved the name of, of Revelton Root Beer. So we, we did a trademark search. It was not taken. So we, uh, we trademarked it. After that trademark, this is where it gets really weird. Um, about a month into getting the trademark, I sent it out on social media to some, some of my friends that said that, that we had come up with our name of Revelton. And one of my, uh, my very, very dear friends who worked on the campaign trail with me, her name's Flora Schmidt. Um, she texts, texts me within seconds of us releasing the name. And she's like, that name fits you guys so well. And I'm like, well, what the hell? What? what okay. <laughs> what, 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 what the hell? I'm like, what do you say? Thanks. So I did. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? And she, She's one of those that she does proper na- proper name searches on the web, mm-hmm. and when she re- when she researched the name Revelton because nobody knew what it meant, she came back to me and she said, um, "Well, don't you know Revelton in Old Irish, and I'm half Irish, means maker of spirits." And I'm like, "You've got, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me! That, that, that is, is nuts! That is and then, serendipitous!" Holy right. Cow. Well, but then, then it even gets even weirder. Um, in Gaelic, so really old, old Irish, it actually means diplomat. So having had many of the jobs that I've had in my life, one of, one of which being uh, serving as that, um, one of the drinks that we have down at Revelton now we call is meant to be because we knew the name was meant to be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty great. fantastic. That's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, how often does does your son hold that over your head? <laughs> well, right now I pay him 20, 20 bucks a week for uh, for rights to the name, but I, I think that's going to go up pretty damn quick. <laughs> so, I see. Now, if you were your dad or my dad, you would do that and then turn around and hand him a bill for all the food that he ate and everything right. else. That, uh, yeah. that would be. I, I don't. Dad. I don't have to do that. It's just a gentle reminder at this point of, right. uh, well, if you want to pay for the car insurance and the gas that goes in it and college. Right. Yeah, we sure. Yeah. So anyway. As my dad used to say, I would, I once, asked, I once told him, I said, Hey, you owe me $5. 
And he's like, listen, all you'll ever be able to do is get even with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I had a bet with my dad. Uh, oh, we used to bet all the time, just five and $10. And, and then of course you get in that high school cocky. I know everything, uh, uh, part of life as teenagers. And I bet my dad a million dollars, um, my sophomore year of high school, about the time I met you, Chris, and, uh, we shook on it and I lost that bet and I owed him a million dollars until, uh, my freshman year of college when I knew for a fact, what he was telling me was wrong. And I did my research before I made the bet and I got it back. So we're broke even. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, I will tell you one. Of, I think one of the testaments to to your success is is Christy. Yeah. So, oh, amen. I can't imagine. I. I mean, I. I know. Anytime I go to my wife and and give her some crazy idea, she is always supportive. You know, and 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 will give me the other side and say, "Now let's you know let's listen to this or whatever." Wait, have, have you met Christy? Yeah. No, I, I get you. <laughs> but my point is, my point is, is I'm sure at some point. That's got to be a huge leap for her, um, because of what she does, and 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 a good and you guys have a good job and a good living and so on. Yeah, you're willing to to say let's let's throw caution to the wind here, and she's got that much faith in you, and your passion. That's that's a testament to your guys' relationship and marriage, and, and and to the woman that she is. Well, absolutely, and you know she, uh, uh, we walked uh, side by side through this whole process um, and get getting it launched um and beyond that i mean she's as you've been down there a couple times chris she's there on weekends bartending and and helping train our new bartending staff upstairs in the tasting room when i'm downstairs and uh and making stuff and working with our assistant distillers and our staff downstairs so we divide and conquer and i just had one of our employees uh, recently from the tasting room side last saturday it was kind of a crazy day but she came up to Christy and I both when we were upstairs in the, in the tasting room and, and uh, she gave, uh, gave us a hug and she's like, I love it when you're both down here because it's just, it just is so awesome. And I thought, okay, uh, that's awesome. We're doing some things right then. Um, not that it's not crazy when, we're, when it's just, just me, but um, it's tr we've truly built a family down there that is like, uh, okay, on Saturdays, mom and dad are both here and it just feels good. So it's, it's something I can't explain. It's just something you have to feel. I mean, I, I think that's, that's uh, just an awesome story. I mean, like I, the whole idea, like I had mentioned before uh, that, that opening a distillery seems like a, a scary proposition and you. Oh, wait, don't you get me wrong. Can we cuss on this, on this oh, podcast? Yeah, 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 by all, by all yeah okay, good. It's scary. We're as from shit. the South side. We're from the <laughs> South side. <laughs> man. All right. Right. No, it's, well, it's scary as shit. Well, I mean, and running for public office is scary as shit, right? Like, like they're. Yeah. That running the distillery seems like a piece of cake compared to. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but, but, but running for public office, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, we're in the United States. What's the worst that can happen? You lose. Yeah. And, and you know, um, when I, when I, when I taught, um, when I taught a couple classes, a few years ago, um, and, I, and I don't teach anymore just because I don't have time and I, I miss it. But, you know, the thing is, is <laughs> if you, no matter what you do, the worst that can happen is you fail. And, and, and the cool thing about, and this is one of the things that I don't think our society embraces that much. We, we're always pushed to win, 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 win. 
and, and the thing is, is, if you always win uh, and you never take risks, the first time that you lose or, or you fail, people just, they just crumble. Yeah. Um, and I always, I used to tell my students this, and I've even told my staff this, you know, you're going to screw up sometimes. And the cool thing about screwing up is we can sit down and we can talk about what happened, why it happened, so that you can learn from it and, and know how to overcome adversity. And, um, you know, if I could leave anybody with anything tonight, if they would just, if they would just hear me on this, don't, don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid to, to go out, step out on a limb and try something because the worst that could happen is you fail. And then you either try it again and do it better the next time, or you decide it's not for you and you go and find something else. I mean, part of the reason why I've had so many careers that I've had over the, over the last 35 years is because I've used each one of those as stepping stones to do something vastly different in my life. Um, and not all people are wired that way, but um, I like doing different things for a period of times so that I can, I can learn from it. Rob, so you're, you're, you're right in the wheelhouse of, of what I preach all the time to my kids and and to anybody that'll listen, I, I and, and I will this podcast, you, Chris is on this about. podcast. And in 2017, when they gave me the news that I had cancer, and I I, I will vividly remember this to the day I die. Uh, Caitlin came upstairs; she was crying and she was upset. And I was and I asked her what was wrong. She said, "It's not fair. Why why did it happen to you and whatever?" And I was like, "Oh, whoa, well, wait, we ain't playing this bullshit." Right, right. Not feeling sorry for ourselves. We're not laying down and taking a beating. We're not going to get the shit kicked out of us. We're going to move forward. We don't quit around here. Right. We don't worry about failure. If I was worried about failure, listen, I changed my life. 2008, I made the decision that my life was not where I wanted it to be. Health-wise, yeah. where I was at with my career and so on. And I made hard choices. Yeah. And I remember my, I remember people going, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Well, what am I, what's the alternative? I'm going right. to be miserable the rest of my entire life when I yep. could take a shot here. And what's the worst that could happen? I'll end up right where I'm at. But at least I took a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, more than anything, just don't give up. Right. Just and don't just, give up. And, yeah. and look where my life is now. I have an, an amazing wife that I, I say to this day, I never in my life would ever think that a woman that amazing and smart and beautiful would ever look at me and fall in love with me. Well, I'll no, be honest I, with I, you. I still I, think I, the, I, I thought the same thing when I when I married when I when I uh, met her the first time, but she is awesome. But, <laughs> I was gonna say I, I still think there has to be something wrong with her, Chris. I, I, <laughs> I mean, there's we can bring her down here. You can ask her what's wrong with her. But. I mean, does does she wear does she wear glasses? <laughs> she, she wears contacts. Okay, we're moving on. Remember, we're, moving on. We're, not, we're not talking about that shit. Yeah. No, no man. Hey, I'm, t- I'm telling I, you the same thing. I mean, you know, you're fair, and I and I I won't get into too much details because I can't get into too many details right now. But I made a decision two weeks ago to try something that is completely out of my wheelhouse. That if it comes through, great. It's going to fulfill a passion that I've had for four years. If yeah. not, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to do the same thing that I'm doing now. Right. Just like this podcast. I've never done a podcast in my life. Do I have anything that anybody's going to want to hear me say? Probably not. Oh, I, I disagree with that. But I think, but if there's few people that get something out of it, yeah, if anything has gotten me closer to some of my family, and and that's okay for me, right? Yeah. But a hundred percent, what you said, you cannot be afraid to try things. You can't live in fear. 
Now, on, on the other end of this, I have a, a good friend of mine that doesn't want me to mention his name, but he's uh, significantly older than me and um, has been a very good friend and mentor uh, that I met clear back, not, not a legislator, but when I first uh, ran for public office. Um, and, and very similar to me in an older way, he's done a lot of different things from being a physician to uh, um, owning a couple of companies and very successfully and, and a guy that I think a lot of. And when Christy and I thought we were going to go down this adventure of Revelton, um, he looked at our business plan at my request. We had lunch and he looked up and he smiled and he said, here's the thing, guys. He actually called his kids because he's that up that old. Um, <laughs> he said, here's the thing, kids. He said, um, so many people failure, uh, uh, fear failure. And, he, and he, he says this with a smile, but, um, but I know it to be true. He said, don't, feel, don't fear failure because failure is very short. It's very temporary. It's, it can be very painful at the time that it happens. But after it happens, it's over and you move on with life. He said, what people don't think about is success. He said, fear success because the more successful you become, the more driven you become, the more, more things you, need, you think you need to do. And before you know it, it becomes an obsession. And then you start to forget about your friends and your family and all the other things that made you who you are. So he said, he points his finger at Christy and I both. And he said, I, I, I don't think you guys are going to fail, but I I'm concerned that because this I think is going to be so successful that you make sure that you uh, make time for each other and make time for your family and, and don't let it become an obsession. And I thought that was outstanding advice. Yeah, I mean, I, that's something I kind of wanted to touch on, right? Like, so Christy's along for the ride with you, which is awesome. Um, but when I think about these things and the path that I took in my life, um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, what's the worst that can happen if I run for public office and I lose? Right. Um, but I have a lot of loved ones that I'm bringing along for the ride. Yeah, uh, whether they want to or not in some ways. Right. And so th to me, that's where maybe the risk for me lies in, in a bigger thing. Is yeah. I'm not afraid of failing. But yeah. I'm afraid of the fact that I'm putting myself out there, which if, you know, I were a single guy, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but bringing everyone else that comes along for the ride, whether they like it or not, uh, that to me is also maybe probably where a lot of my risk lies or my fear of that is, yeah. is not that I'm failing for myself, but now I am, um, well, a, you're a, am I too fo focused on my goals and not our goals collectively and B am I exposing them to things that they're not, you know, they're signing up for cause they love me, not because they're signing up for cause you know, it's not their dream. It's my dream type of thing. Right. Yeah, well, the cool thing about the relationship that Christy and I have is that um, we uh, we do things we do things together. I mean, um, I support her professionally, and we we do a lot of things for for her career together. And before the distillery, um, she did a lot of things for me for my career, and we did them together. And when we uh, when we chose to run for public office, and notice I said we mm -hmm. um, we we did it together. Now the hardest thing about after you win in public office, uh, wh whether it be me or whether it be you or your significant other is the other, the other office holder is always 
so me as the as the state representative i was always the spokesperson i was always the one that was interviewed and so on and so forth and the hardest thing for the spouse on that other end of it is not saying what you think um and that that's difficult because um chris will know this my my wife was the debate president in 1989 and i was in debate as well we're both very outspoken people and for um you put uh, the uh, the camera on on either one of us, um, we might have very differing opinions about about different issues. Sure. Um, and, and, and the media sometimes can do their very best to try and divide you based upon talking to both of you as to what you may think. So we had to learn to evolve in our relationship about who's the elected official and who is not and making sure that we don't um, put put one another in a bad position based upon what our uh, political position may be. So um, actually it helped Christy and I grow a lot as, as a couple going through that for three terms on um, respecting each other's viewpoints and knowing, and knowing that um, we're not twins. We don't all, we don't think alike. And it's that, that it's that diversity of thought that, helped us get closer as a couple in being able to agree to disagree. And I, and I think that's something that we, we miss in society today, both as friends and, and as spouses. I mean, gosh, not to throw Chris under the bus, but I will for just a second. Um, <laughs> in, in a, but in a good way. I, mean, I think I was going to throw you under the same bus. <laughs> right. I mean, Chris and I are outstanding examples, I think, of two people that on, on a few issues, we have vastly different opinions um, to the point where the most people would just say, screw you, I'm not your friend anymore. But the thing is, is that's, that's not true friendship. True friendship is being able to talk through issues and listen to one another about what's important and why and learn from it. You can still agree to disagree, but um, true friendship means that you can have knock down, drag out arguments, but still at the end of the day, there is nothing that will get in the way of our friendship. And I think it's something that we're very, very much missing in today's society. I, I think we had a, we had a discussion on a podcast before about being able to work with people and, and, and still maintain friendships with people that were on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. And I, and I have always said that I will always fight, passionately for what I believe in and 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 you may not necessarily have that same view but man to man if I picked up the phone and or you picked up the phone and said I need assistance for this dude or whatever, I'd be you, there in a heartbeat wouldn't, there wouldn't be any question right right because I know I know what kind of a person you are you know what kind of a person I am and sadly we have a friend that are, I've I've just stopped talking to because every conversation I ever, I ended up having with him was political. Yeah. And, and that's not what it's about. I can have a political conversation with you and give you my views. And then five minutes later, comment on the photo of yours and make a joke because we're friends. Right. And that right. stopped happening with that other friend. And I'm sad about that. Because yeah. I admire him and I admire what he's accomplished, but it, it just is what it is. But to I agree a hundred percent. It's lost in this country now. It's lost in this entire country 
Well, and I, I nothing against social media, but everything against social media. I mean, when you when you go <laughs> onto Facebook and you're you're liking friends, I, I think a, a more appropriate term would be acquaintances, because that's where I think those two terms. Um, people think they mean the same, but they're vastly different. I, I, I mean, I have a ton of acquaintances in my life, but I really only have a handful of true friends. And, and that's just really how life goes. The right. older you get, the, the, the fewer friends you have just because of people dying or moving away. Um, but I really, really think it's so essential for, <laughs> for people to find people to make friends with that, that don't agree with them. Um, because I think it, it, at the end of the day, it, it brings in true friendships and it makes both those people more well-rounded for them, their families, their colleagues in the future to know that there's a, another opinion besides theirs that they may not be, a, they may not agree with, but still they like this person and they want to be friends with them and they respect them and they'll listen to them, even though they may not agree. And, uh, Boy, if there was anything in life that taught me how, how to do that the best was really the legislature. It just, um, I had a former governor that told me well, before I walked in my first day, he says, the only piece of advice that I'm going to give you is listen more than you talk. And I tried to do that both with my own party and with um, and the other party just because I wanted to understand where they were coming from and why they were so passionate about a particular subject matter, whether it be good or bad or something I agreed with or I didn't. And um, I, I think, cool. go ahead. I think it's easier to open your mind up to other people's points of view when you have such a good relationship with them, right? I, yeah. You and yeah, I might have a conversation and because I know the kind of man you are and the integrity that you have and so on, I'll be more apt to listen to your point of view and try to see that and understand it than I would with somebody that talks about talking points and, and, and I don't have a relationship with. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you for that. Uh, but the, the thing that I, that I challenge everybody to is, um, when you go back to work tomorrow or you go, you go to the gym or you go to, uh, um, go back to your own neighborhood. We all have neighbors that we've, we've probably never talked to before. And, and why is that? varying reasons so my challenge for everybody would be go out and find that one person that you don't like or you've never talked to before and i challenge you to um strike up a relationship with them and listen more than you talk and it will surprise the hell out of you what what happens it i mean for the love of pete if uh if uh, thomas jefferson and uh um um john adams can be friends at at right before they die and the best of friends uh, that gives me hope in what a democracy really looks like and a representative Republican, what we can do as Americans. You, you look at Bill Clinton and George Bush. Oh, George Bush. Absolutely. You know, they, you couldn't find two people more diametrically opposed to each other. And right. We're, we're very close at the end when, when George senior died. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, it's one thing to talk about these things from from these broad, larger political, uh, diametrically opposed people. I think on a more day to day basis. So we, we talk about it because social media has amplified these differences. But to me, this isn't 
anything that that is new or different. In fact, Rob, I appreciate what you said about you and Christy not seeing eye to eye because I get the sense that as much as you tried to make sure it was clear in your political life, uh, but I get the sense that um, you could say it. it's okay. Well, your employees and your kids have probably seen you and your wife have healthy disagreements. Uh, I would call them robust arguments. Sure. Okay. So, but my point <laughs> hasn't met Christy yet. You mentioned you both guys, you, you both did debate, but I think, I think my, my point is, is that I feel like even a generation ago, uh, there was this kind of tacit idea that parents needed to be on the same page or in small businesses that business partners needed to present the same face to employees. Yeah. And I would argue that that is the same problem, just a microcosm of the larger problem that we had, that we have, you know, now. Right. And, and, and I go, we need to, I go, yeah, we go need ahead. To have healthy examples, I guess, of people disagreeing and still, uh, not that you don't want your kids both raised with the same, you know, ideals, or you want your employees to see the same kind of vision for your company. But you, I think it, it, there was almost an artificiality to the way parents were supposed to agree. Yeah. Know, right. Or the way yeah, it, employers agreed. Right. So, um, one, one of the businesses that I, I sold before I, um, before I started a distillery at a training and consulting business, um, in automotive ag and over the road trucking companies where, um, I would go in and, uh, and talk to service departments about what their issues or problems were. And, and the truth of the matter was the very first place that I'd always go when I went into an uh, auto repair shop or a ag, ag shop is I'd always go back to the technicians and I'd, I'd always find the technicians, uh, bay that was the furthest from the service manager's office because he or she was put there for a reason mm -hmm. because nobody wanted to listen to him anymore. Um, they were, they, they were viewed as pissy or moany. And by the way, some of them were, um, but, but the reality of the situation is whether it be in our marriage or in our relationships or in our friendships or in the, in the professional world, um, surround yourself with people that don't agree with you and give them the opportunity to speak their minds, no matter how ridiculous it might sound. Everybody has an idea that you can glean from. And the truth of the matter is, is the more ideas come at you that are diverse, the stronger your family is, the stronger your friendships are, and the stronger your business is. It's just a matter of whether or not as a business owner or a CEO or uh, the owner of a company, if you can have that type of relationship with all of your people. If you don't, then train your managers to listen to everybody, that there is no dumb idea to give access to the decision makers um, from the people that are, that are the workers to, to share ideas. That's what makes us stronger. And once, once communication shuts down and you don't share ideas anymore, um, marriages turn into divorces, um, businesses turn into bankruptcies and, um, and, and nothing good comes from it. So I sound like I'm preaching. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's what this podcast does. We preach things and then hopefully people listen and do what we tell them. That's, like that's, the, that's yeah. the whole gist of this. But <laughs> Rob, I, my dad was, um, 
we talk a lot about our dads, but my dad was kind of in the same way. He, he always used to say when we'd have conversations at the store, listen, we can have, let's have a debate and let's have conversations. I want to hear all your ideas. I want to hear everybody's opinion. But his only caveat was, is at that point, once everybody's decision was heard and we all, and, and he came to a decision based off of those ideas. Yeah. He then expected every single person to work just as hard. Yeah. As if I took your idea. Yeah. And I've, and I've kind of lived with that a lot and I didn't live a lot with that in my first marriage. And I have with my second, my wife and I can have conversations and we'll, you know, it, it could be something as simple as buying a dishwasher or doing this or doing that. We will have a conversation and there, there will be times where I'll be like, we're still discussing this. Yeah. Why are we still discussing this? Let's just, and then she will come up and have another idea and I'll be like, Oh, didn't think of that. Right. Well, and look, men and women communicate very, very differently too. I mean, perfect example. Uh, You can put, you can put all you, me and Tim in the car for seven and a half hours and we might drive all of that seven and a half hours and say all of five words to one another or, hey, we pull off <laughs> to the next exit because I got to go. And, 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 and everybody would be good with that. Um, um, I, I know this because I've, I've, my wife has not only told me this, but several other women have told me this. You put three best friend women in the same car driving the same distance and nobody's talking that whole time in seven hours. They all think that 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 everybody's a bitch and everybody's mad at them. Everyone's mad at each other. What's what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. So so just so just fundamentally, um, just the way we communicate differently. Now this is God's little joke. Go on vacation with just you and your spouse, and you you the male as a driver. What do we want to do? We just want to drive for six or seven hours and enjoy the scenery, right? Mm -hmm. How many times did your significant other go? Hey, uh, are, are you okay? Are you mad at me? What, what, what should we talk about? Uh, and so d- just using this as an example, the same thing happens in the corporate world in uh, the political world is that when you divide men and women, they communicate very differently, but when you put them together and they understand how each other's thinks and how they communicate, wonderful, beautiful things start to happen. So yeah. Um, I mean, I've been married to my wife for 27 years and she knows that when, when we go on vacation, I'll drive for the first four hours and then we'll switch and then she'll drive because when I'm driving, I just want to look around and I don't want to talk when she's driving. She wants to look around, put her makeup on and talk. So, and I, and I have to be okay with that. So I'll tell you a funny story. We went to go see my wife's father, uh, in Harlan one time and, uh, um, Stacy's mom passed away about three or four months before I met her. And we were sitting at, at Jean's table one day and my wife loves to read newspaper articles out. Right. Like she will, she'll find a story and she'll read the entire article to me. And I just let her go. Cause I, I, you know, that's fine. She read this article one time and Jean goes, you know what I miss about your mother? She no. she just liked to look at the pictures. That's all. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. I was like, that's the greatest burn ever. Not only did he honor your mom, but he made fun of you for reading the entire article. It was so great. But that's the that like sums it up, right? Like he was like, Can you just, you know, get on with the story and give me the highlights? But 
Same thing. Totally yeah. same thing. Yep, it's pretty awesome. So, so let me ask you this. Let's move back into so what and we, you know, we'll we'll go a little bit longer here, but you're in the legislature. You took a trip to Kentucky. Is that right? Is that what got you on this this journey here? You yeah, tour of a bourbon place. So tell yeah, us, we uh, talk about that story. So in uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of my timeline. It's 2021, so it would be um, 2011. Yeah, 20 July of 2011. Um, my wife and I belong to the um, um, State Fair. Uh, a foundation for the Iowa State Fair Board. And uh, so every July, right before the Iowa State Fair, they have the, the Iowa Corn Dog Kickoff. And uh, one of the live auctions in the Iowa Corn Dog Kickoff was this trip to um, a week trip to the heart of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in a little town called Bardstown, Kentucky, where they have the annual Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And so it's a week-long celebration that at the end of the week on a Saturday, um, they give 400 tickets worldwide for you to, uh, to um, attend their gala. And inside that gala, it's a great big, huge warehouse that they've got all of the major uh, distilleries that have made, uh, built these uh, beautiful uh, bars. And you go in in your black tie and formal, formal gown with a gunny sack uh, going around to each one of the, the bars, so like Maker's Mark and Woodford Reserve and uh, Wild Turkey and you name it, they were there. And you sample their products, and at the end of that sample, you get to keep the glassware, which I thought was cool as hell. And I, I can't even tell you how much glassware I have here after 10 years. <laughs> but Yeah, you know what? Brewing industry, same way. I've, I, I'm looking over right now at like four shelves and i gave away probably six shelves oh yeah 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 <laughs> if people came down to my basement right now they would go what the hell? you have a problem yes i do i have such a problem i built a <laughs> distillery but um so the long and short of it is that we f we absolutely fell in love with the bourbon festival the people of bardstown got to meet jimmy jimmy russell and his uh his wife as well as his son eddie russell the uh master distillers from wild turkey um we got to meet uh jim rutledge who was the master distiller at the time for four roses mm -hmm. and then in bardstown there's a beautiful distillery that most iowans don't know yet because we don't carry their product uh unless you special order it uh drew and janelle colsfeen and their family own a, a, a distillery in bardstown called willets and the long and short of it over the next two or three years we built, built friendships with all of these people and by year four of us traveling up, which is when I really what was in the heart of the legislature, uh, Jimmy Russell from Wild Turkey and Jim Rutledge from Four Roses and my wife and I and their spouses went to dinner. And um, Jimmy Russell looks over at my wife and I and affectionately called, him I called us Iowa. So he leans back in his chair and he uh, folds his arms back and he says, Iowa, what I don't understand is why the hell you all don't make uh, whiskey in Iowa. Uh, you're the corn capital of the world. And by the way, do you know where um, Wild Turkey gets most of their corn from? And then he points over at Jim Rutledge at Four Roses and you know where he gets most of his corn from? And I said, no. And he said, well, a little company called Kent Feeds in Iowa. Yep. And, yep. Um, and, and, I, and again, being a, a rural kid, but a city guy too, 
I didn't know that. And I was blown away by it. And so on our way home, because my wife and I always drove, uh, drove down and back for obvious reasons, because you can't put that much alcohol on a plane legally. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so uh, on our way back that year, Christy and I started talking and dreaming a little bit. And she's like, why the hell don't we have more distilleries in Iowa? And by the f- next year, it was, why the hell don't we build a distillery in Iowa? And that was at about year five of going down. And then by year 10, um, we, we were up and going. So um, great thing was, is all of those folks uh, had done what we hadn't done before and they'd done it the Kentucky way. So we had um, a lot of experience and background in helping uh, not only build our distillery, but build it right, um, have a good marketing plan, um, a good product. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I've just brought a little bit of Kentucky back to Iowa. Our stills are made by Vendome uh, a Copper and Brass Works, which is a former diesel mechanic. I say it's the snap-on tools of still making, the creme de la creme. Mm-hmm. Um, my vat, my uh, my fermenting tanks were built in Bardstown, Kentucky, by the same guy that builds them for uh, Sazerac and Diageo, and uh, and my consultant. Uh, uh, well, I have two of them actually now. Uh, Randy Allender, who worked for Jim Beam for 25 years, lives in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, and he's back about four times a year to help me out on back here in Iowa. And, um, you know, I've, I've just taken a lot of, uh, pointers from, um, the bourbon capital of the world so that we can just bring a little bit of that back to Iowa and do it right. Yeah, no, I, it's something that I've, I've always wondered too, of why I, I'm, and I, and I know, I know the reason. So, you know, (laughs) Iowa has certainly, took a while to get past some of the uh, prohibition era. Uh, yeah. And we still got a long ways to go, right? but I mean, um, I mean, Min- Minnesota suffers from a lot of that too, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so there was probably a little bit more freedom for all of that. Um, you know, I was very proud of feeding the world with, with all of their corn and not realizing that, that maybe they could be using something like that. Like you said, from, well, from cat feeds. The, the, the irony, though, was when the pandemic hit, um, all of us, including me, who was mid-build in a distillery, uh, everybody was hit up with, can you make hand sanitizer? Can you make hand sanitizer? Can you make hand sanitizer? And um, I got the phone call from a couple of elected officials about it. And I said, look, I, I'm my distillery is not even done yet. But here's the thing. Um, we've got ethanol plants all over Iowa and Minnesota, by the way, mm-hmm. that are making huge sums of ethanol that it wouldn't take much at all to convert them to hand sanitizer. So I called Senator Ernst herself and, and said, hey, you and Senator Grassley need to talk about this. And within about two weeks, they had uh, they had uh, made a bill to allow ethanol plants to make hand sanitizers. Now, take that one step further. My friends at uh, Willett uh, uh, in Bardstown, Kentucky, in the 1970s, that particular facility actually was one of the largest ethanol or what at the time was called gasohol producers in, in, the, uh, middle, in the middle states. And then uh, petroleum prices went way down and they couldn't make it. So they actually went bankrupt as an ethanol facility, but the family bought it back and restructured it to make whiskey and bourbon. And there's no, no reason at all why the state of Iowa couldn't do the same doggone thing. And we could be the bourbon capital of, of the world if in the next 50 years, if we, if we'd focus on it. 
But yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, there's obviously there's been a great craft beer boom in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, um, Iowa has had a. They want to have good wine. It's not a good wine growing region by any reason, by any means. But you have this very clear, very abundant crop that can make some fantastic spirits. Right. Jump all over that. Capitalize on that by all means. Amen. And so the long and short of why we decided to do a distillery too was um, a lot of what we were, what we've been talking about earlier, I, about people not getting along and we, we never even got into competitors you know there's so many industries especially in the automotive world where i came from fierce competitors and you know you uh, and and again in politics fierce competitors democrats shouldn't talk to republicans republicans shouldn't talk bullshit um part of the reason why i loved the the spirit pardon the pun of the distillery world was in kentucky and tennessee you have all of these distilleries that are fierce competitors but they're a band of brothers that if there's something that happens in their industry, they support one another. I wanted to do that and bring that to Iowa. Um, we, I mean, there's really only about 12 distilleries in Iowa right now that have, that, uh, that have active licenses. And while I would consider all of us fierce competitors, we all know each other. We all try and support each other. Um, we all congratulate uh, uh, each other. I mean, I'm 35 miles south of Kyle Doyle, an Iowa distilling company. And uh, that guy and I are texting nearly daily and congratulating each other on some accomplishments that he's made and that he's recognized with me. And um, we have lunch once in a while and, you know, we try and support each other. So I not only want to build a distillery in Iowa, but I want to build an infrastructure of, of community and tourism that people can travel from and experience. Yeah, so. Absolutely. We, you know, we, we say a lot in, in craft brewing that um, a rising tide lifts all ships. Absolutely. And, and I think as craft brewing has exploded as it has over the last 15 years, it's gotten a little bit more competitive, but there's still yes. a lot of that camaraderie. You know, last weekend I was out at a bar with a different brewer. Tom- I, literally tomorrow I'm going to go brew a, a beer at another brewery with a friend of mine, not even a collaboration, just literally, Hey, you know, hanging yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. we're always, and, and we're, and we're doing so with ingredients borrowed from a different brewery and we're yeah. always bouncing those things off of each other. And I think in the distilling world, uh, particularly in a state like Iowa, where it's still young, you know, <laughs> um, not, I don't want to say immature, but it, there's still, there's not, it's not it's a, a, it is an infant, infant stage yeah right and yeah. so and so you definitely have an opportunity to do exactly that like to yeah. to take uh the industry and this potential and and develop it all together like i don't know if there's going to be if there is already or there could be a um distillers guild or association yep. or something yep. like that in Iowa. Yep. I think, you know, those there kinds is. of things. Okay. Well, wonderful. Yeah. 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 Right. But you know, you, you and I are in the, in one of the oldest professions in the, in the world, uh, between brewery and, and uh, distillery uh, sure. and winery. So, sure. um, yes. And that's called prostitution. 
Yeah, no, no, I wasn't going to bring that one. That's the oldest one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that only happens in Vegas. But, uh, well, um, I was going to say, I, I I still feel like I've sold myself against maybe some of, of my better judgment for, for some of the products that we've had to make, but that's you know, entirely well, different. And interestingly <laughs> enough, um, you know, there wasn't everybody in my community, and quite frankly, even in my own family, that embraced the, the concept of a distillery. Um, sure. Um, this will come out in, in more of our story down the road, but, um, my, my Taylor family actually came from the Hills of Kentucky and Bracken County, Kentucky specifically, um, as moonshiners. And, uh, my grandfather moved here during the great depression because he was a prohibitionist, wanted to get away from the family business, um, and moved to Iowa to become a farmer and, uh, and raised his family in new Virginia. So, sure. um, my dad is the youngest of four of those. And, uh, um, my oldest uncle is, thinks this is pretty cool. My youngest uncle absolutely is absolutely adamantly opposed to me having a distillery. And I said, that's okay. Because you know what? Um, we, we make a Revelton root beer and, and, uh, that, that doesn't have any alcohol in it. And then he thought it was pretty cool. Um, and by the way, so did the religious community in Osceola. Once they realized that we're not just making hooch to get people drunk. We want. We end up becoming the epicenter and family, and being family friendly to be able to bring families in and mom have a cocktail and uh, you know her kids have a couple of Revelton root beers. So it's rapidly become uh, a really popular place to sit down, relax, and uh, unwind, uh, whether you have kids or not, and whether you like drinking or not. Uh, we've got we've got something for everybody, and I think that's really important. Yeah, you know the word pub literally is short for public house. Right? Absolutely. And I think people forget that. There's this big debate in the craft brewing community of kids in a tap room or not, or those types of things. Like, no, think of this as a public house. This is a place where all can get together and have that sense of community. Well, uh, and, and not to go too far, but, but, but why, why not? What the hell? You know, I, th <laughs> I think, I, I think as Americans, I say, I think we're really, um, uh, uh um, uh, what's what's the most polite word to put it? We're um, polite on this podcast. We're 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 we're, schi we're schizophrenic. Uh, we're, <laughs> oh, sure. and we're, so we're schizophrenic with uh, with alcohol. For example, you go to Europe, um, and they their kids will have a glass of wine or a glass of beer at 10, 11, 12 years old. And when you look at alcoholism in Europe, it, it's it's almost unheard of because. Alcohol isn't this big taboo thing. Um, and not that I'm comparing Americans to Europe, but I'm saying culturally, um, there, it's, it's, there's not the taboo that comes around it. If you, Same make, thing some, with, if you make something verboten, then right. people are going to gravitate towards it. Right. And the same thing with nudity. You go all over France and, and there's, there's people that, um, you know, that, that bathe topless all over France and, and they don't think anything of it. Uh, they can always tell the Americans because the Americans are the ones that are gawking on the beaches. But, but, yeah, but again, yeah, by the way, Chris, that is not an invitation to get naked. <laughs> right, right, right. I just want to make sure that that's understood. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> but you know, we, and this is legal. Uh, this, weekend. <laughs> this is legal, but you know, we've raised four kids uh, Two, three of my four kids are adults now, two girls and two boys. But growing up, we, we took the European approach when it came to alcohol um, that if we sat down for dinner, if the kids wanted a glass of wine or they wanted a small glass of beer with, with their dinner, we, we would allow it. And we didn't, we didn't, we didn't 
use the F word. We didn't forbid it. And both my girls went off to undergraduate and graduate school and they didn't party it up like a lot of other kids did because um, it wasn't any big deal. And right. my, my, dad let me, my dad let me have wine and I hated it. And it wasn't until I got to be in my mid-20s before I realized I didn't hate wine. I, my dad just had terrible taste in wine. Sure. sure. And now my wife, this. my wife doesn't like it when I when I bathe topless along our pool, but I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't. I don't know why she wouldn't like that, Rob. I know. I say you're a same handsome thing. man. That's right. I don't know. So, either. Well, well uh, Rob, I don't. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I did want to sneak in one more question because I yeah. had. I had the the honey whiskey. I'm drinking uh-huh. some of the honey uh, vodka now, and I didn't realize uh, that you also have a honey business as part of this, right? I do. Uh, we we started the Iowa Honey Company about six years ago, and it was when my kids were teenage and preteenage, and we started that company to teach our kids how to start a business, how to trademark, and more importantly, how to connect with our agriculture. Because at the time, I was so damn busy that we didn't do a lot in the country. And so my wife and I took a beekeeping class in Sheraton, Iowa on a Friday night. It was our Friday night date night uh, for six weeks. And we took our boys with us and uh, we fell in love with it. And so we started the Iowa honey company. And in the end it became a, becomes a feeder company for the honey that we use in our honey whiskey and our honey vodka. And uh, by the way, when you see that honey whiskey and that honey vodka, whether it be on the shelf or in front of you, um, it's, it's not unnormal to see a little bit of wispies inside of that. Sure. Uh, that's actually a sign that that's the natural honey that, uh, that tends to precipitate out. So if you ever see it, just shake the bottle up. It'll go right back up into stasis and you're good to go. So are, are, you, are there plans to bourbon barrel age any honey? Hell yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> good, because I... I've already I have, got that marked on my calendar. I, say, <laughs> I, have, I have friends... Uh, that do that i have like three jars i had an intern at the at the brewery oh yeah who brought me uh like three jars of bourbon barrel honey and i've managed to slowly sneak more oh yeah it's I'm it's working a my way through it but i i'm almost like judicious of like no that that can have the regular honey you can't have right the right the regular honey <laughs> not the special honey. yeah no yeah, absolutely sure. yeah so it's been a labor of love on both ends. And if you notice in our label at the very bottom, um, uh, to the left under Osceola, you'll see a, an Art Deco B and an R next to it. That's Rob. And the one on the other side is, uh, uh, is Christy. And we're facing each other uh, uh, together uh, looking at our Revelton mark. So um, that's, uh, that's how Christy and I face everything is, is looking at it and looking at it equally and together and, um, two minds are always better than one. That's why Chris and I keep doing this. We keep on trying to get at least two minds to equal one. On the Hell podcast. yeah. No, no, man. You guys, you guys have been <laughs> awesome to talk to tonight. So. Well, Rob, I will reiterate what I said at the beginning. Um, my admiration for you and Christy uh, is beyond what I could, what I could express, uh, the success that you guys have and the, um, just makes me very proud to call Rob Taylor, my friend. Uh, same thing with you, Chris Shipley. 
Uh, you will forever be one of my very best friends. And I am so proud of you for all the adversity that you've come through and to continue to still be a, a bright and shining star uh, and be positive about people and life in the world that we live in right now. Um, that's awesome. And uh, I can't thank you enough. And Tim, it was, it was awesome getting to know you tonight. You got to come down to the distillery sometime. Absolutely. Yes. I, yeah, I know. I, know. Oh, I got a whole group of people who are coming down there. Dude. I, <laughs> done. Done. Yeah, at, some point, at some point, we're going to have a bus tour this summer. My buddy, Tim uh, Heim, who was three years behind us. I don't know if you remember Tim Heim. V vaguely. Um, he, I bet I'd know him if I saw him. He has a rag bride bus, but we, usually, oh, yeah. we will take that and hit some bars and whatever. We did a winery tour, which to your point, Tim, you're right. The wineries here in central Iowa, not exactly great. They're not great. Uh, you know, Minnesota invents grapes. They have a, a, a viticulture program at the, the University of Minnesota, and they're still all awful. We just don't, yeah. have, grow, we don't have the climate. We're skipping those, and we're hitting <laughs> bars and distilleries. So you, we'll be on the list. But I will tell you also, I want to make sure everybody understands. And Rob, I'll let you give the address and stuff because I've had problems. Sure. Four glasses of your honey whiskey. Yeah, dude, you can't feel your feet now. I can't, dude. I can't. You know, I got some good stuff in me when I say I can't feel my face. My wife will know that I hit the threshold. But I'll, I do this a lot with the beer bottles. I'll start staring into it and I'll be like, yeah. I can't feel my face. My, my yeah, yeah. That means it's good stuff. Um, but the inside of, of Revelton is beautiful. And, and I can't imagine what it will look like during the summer when you have that back patio open and being able to sit out there. Yeah. Um, but I encourage everybody take the short trip down to Osceola, see my buddy, Rob, um, say hi to his lovely wife. Who's the better half. Yeah. That's God. That's the God's honest truth. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So we, <laughs> we couldn't we have literally are 30 minutes South of Des Moines, take the lakeside casino exit in Osceola. And rather than turning, uh, west to go to the casino you just turn east go over the bridge and we are right there big blue building with this beautiful copper top roof oh, and uh i i do know what where that is okay i know exactly where that is it just i haven't been to osceola in years yeah yep that's me okay guys i am getting the i'm getting the eye from my wife that we've gotta we've gotta get some things done before uh, we go to bed tonight so um Appreciate both of you. I can't wait to see or talk to you guys both again. And thanks for having me on tonight. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, Rob. you, Rob. Thanks, man. Man, no, you know, Chris, fantastic guest. Um, Dude, that was a good episode. I, you know, I, I, I think uh, Rob hits on all of the things that we kind of talk about regularly. About, yeah. Whether it be about taking risks, yeah. whether it be about listening to people that have differing opinions, you know, cause like he said some things that I really appreciate just yeah. because you passionately defend your point of view. And just because you have strong debates, it doesn't mean that you're not listening. Right. Um, right. But also that, yeah, maybe sometimes know when to shut up and listen. And I think there's a balance that I know that I often strike the wrong part of that balance. But, you know, he kind of hit on a lot of those things that as much as I thought we were going to talk about whiskey, we really kind of talked about 
Life. Life, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now he's uh he's straight up uh the epitome of what I've said when I when I when I say um can I have a conversation with him and and anything that has to do with political views or whatever goes out the window. Mm. And that's the way it should be anymore. Yeah, for sure. I, I, 20 years ago, if I'd have sat down and had a beer or, or had a whiskey with Rob, I wouldn't have cared what his politics was and I wouldn't have known. And that's part of the problem with social media. I wouldn't know what their politics are. It certainly creates an echo chamber. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Um, well, great. I, I mean, do you have anything else to add? Otherwise, I think we can we can send our listeners on their way. I don't. I'm f- I'm four or five shots in, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I, I may have to crawl up the stairs. No, I th- I think this is great. Uh, so we thank you all for joining us for this episode of Old Man Strength. Once again, please. Uh, Make it down to Revelton down in Osceola, Iowa. If you are anywhere near there on 1400 West Clay Street, or if you're in the, the neighborhood, it is not that far off of 35. You'll be able to, to pop in there and enjoy yourself. Or if you're like Chris, maybe you, you I know there are also hotels very close <laughs> nearby. So, so make a weekend trip out of it. Uh, but we appreciate you guys listening to Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society. Please check us out on the web at thetailgatesociety.com. As always, a lot of great content, a lot of interesting articles ranging from sports to politics to pop culture. Uh, every type of podcast as well that you can find ranging from sports to politics to pop culture to just drinking i don't know what, what how would you describe bitter units my other podcast bitter units is is i i get a lot out of bitter units just based off of learning the brewing process or whatever but also it pisses me off because you guys talk about all these beers and i can never try them that's what they, <laughs> they sound amazing uh Aaron even does a nice job on there and you know you know how much Aaron is uh, oh god I, we're going to make a t-shirt that says Aaron even does a nice job. That is fantastic. Print them up, baby. Oh, I love it. So anyway, please check us out on Twitter at strength underscore old. Chris is. Side grad, side dad. Side grad, side dad. I am Tim Johnson. MN. Once again, tailgatesociety.com. Please visit our sponsor at dead. I barbecue or dead. And we will see you guys next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest. Green bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in. That original sin